God, finally, graduation. I'm so ready to be out of this school. I mean, I'll miss it a little, but I'm seriously ready to meet some new people. I mean, I just get tired of all these immature guys. I don't think I know one guy who would actually want to date me for the right reasons. How do you even find someone to be with forever? I mean, I want to do the right thing and wait for the right guy, but is there a guy like that even out there? Do you know who I'm going to end up with? I hope he's not anyone I know now, but I guess if he is, you've got a lot of work to do. Just kidding, Caitlin. We started our series last week, TalkingToGod.com, and we said it's so much more than a series because it's more than just four talks. I asked thousands of New Springers, if you would, to pray every day, to journal, to keep a record of what God is doing during this, this season, this journey. And then I also ask you to check out our website that we just launched, TalkingToGod.com, because every day there's like a little, little message about prayer. And you guys have definitely checked out the website and others as well. We had over 21,000 hits by 4 o'clock yesterday, so I'm really pumped about that. And I'm excited about what is happening in your lives because I hear so many stories. Last weekend I said I have no idea why God gave me the biggest series of the year the first weekend of summer vacation. But scores of you wrote me and emailed me and texted me and told me, really, you guys tell me why. And it's, uh, it's been exciting to read that this is the right series for the right time. And I'm, I'm excited about what God is doing in your life. And I'm really enjoying, I'm learning a lot about prayer from reading your comments on the website and from reading your prayer requests. It's amazing how much I'm learning from you. And I was really especially taken by a, a, someone who, who, who posted on the 8th, and, and, and this person said, this 21 days of talking to God and journaling is completely changing my life, three exclamation points. I truly think about prayer and how God is at work all day and night. I cannot get it off my mind. By faith, I'm feeling God at work in my life in such a huge way. I have such a joy in my heart from trusting all my cares to him that I can't explain. Learning to, in, in, in a little later on, learning to instead ask big and ask for the what has rejuvenated my prayer life, and I'm excited all the time about talking to God. And then this person closes, like a light bulb has gone off, finally gone off, and it's clicked for me, and my life is never going to be the same. And I, I just think this person said it well. I know this person said it for me, uh, because this is a light bulb experience for me as I grow in what has been a challenging area of my life, which is prayer. And last week, we, we talked about what prayer is. We said prayer is basically communicating with God. In Philippians 4, 6, the Bible says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. You know, some people, as we said last week, have the idea that prayer, does every, the only reason you pray is just as a religious exercise or an exercise of faith or whatever because everything is already settled. But why else would God ask us to tell him what we need? He knows, of course, but that's what prayer is. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you'll experience God's peace. I love Second Chronicles 16.9 where the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. In other words, God is looking for people who will talk to him. God is looking for people who will engage him. Remember, prayer is when we take conversation or our feelings 
and we focus those feelings, those concerns toward God. Last week, we had two major thoughts. Prayer, cons- prayer connects your needs, fears, and dreams to God's power, resources, and sovereignty. When you pray, you take your needs, fears, and dreams, and you send them, we click send, send them to God, to God's power, his resources, and his sovereignty. And then last week, Maybe a little bit of a startling comment. If you grew up in a traditional church as I did, and you heard a lot of a lot of different, I heard a lot of ministers preach a lot of different sermons about prayer. Uh, last week I said prayer is not about prayer; it's about a relationship. And the reason why I said that, I grew up with the idea that prayer is what Christians do, and it was sort of a duty-based thing. If you're a Christian, you ought to pray, you know. And I heard sermons that if, if you're a Christian, you ought to pray for an hour every day. And I would try to go home and pray for an hour. And the odd thing is, prayer was about prayer. But prayer is not about prayer. Prayer is about a relationship that you you have with God. And your prayer will grow as your relationship with God grows. Prayer, prayer, remember we said there's not power in prayer. Prayer is like an HDMI cable. It connects us with the source of the power. Now I'm going to move real quickly today because I need to deal with a couple of very important questions. And these questions are, number one, does God answer every prayer? And number two, what if I ask and nothing happens? We have so many people with different worldviews who attend New Spring, and, a, and I have a couple of really, really great friends who attend New Spring who are non-theists. And, and, and so we have, a, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of exciting exchanges and fun exchanges, and actually we're cooperating in a project next fall. And so we went to lunch last week, and, and, and they, were, they were just chatting with me about the project, and just a couple of wonderful guys. And so at the end of our conversation, I said to them, you know, I'm getting ready for a series of, on prayer, and I said, I would just like to hear from a non-theist perspective, what do you guys think about when you hear about Christians praying? And my friend looked across the table at me, and he kind of smiled a little bit, and he said, well, he said, you know, I hear my Christian friends talk about God answering prayer, but he said, I'm just curious if you guys tabulate the misses. You know, he said, I know about the hits, but what about the misses? And I thought, that's a really good question, and I, and I want to take that head on today. What about the, what seems to be misses? Does God ever answer every prayer, and what if I ask and nothing happens? Well, this can sound self-serving, but it's just a fact from the very beginning. God is not a genie. Some people think that prayer is like that. God is like you know, rubbing the lamp and a genie appears and you have your three wishes and you tell God what you want and he runs to do what you want. But remember, prayer is not about prayer. Prayer is about a relationship. And any relationship, check me on this, any relationship where one person tells somebody else what to do and the other person has to instantly provide what that person asks for immediately, that's not a healthy relationship. It would not be a healthy relationship in a marriage. It would not be a healthy relationship for children and parents. And it definitely would not be a healthy relationship between me and God. If I could ask God what I wanted and God had to produce it on demand, he would not be God. He would be a genie. So I think from the very beginning, we understand that. But I do want to make a point that I find very compelling in my own personal prayer life, and that is that God does answer every prayer from his daughters and from his sons. God answers every prayer. I am learning to love a verse, and I hope that you will learn to love this. This is Psalm 138, the third verse from the New American Standard. On the day I called, you answered me. Now, just think about that for a moment. Does God answer every prayer? The psalmist said, on the day I called, you answered me. Now read the second line. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Notice that verse doesn't say, on the day I called, you answered me and gave me what I wanted. 
He said, on the day I called, you answered me, and you made me bold in my soul. So my point is this. Whenever God answers you, whenever you communicate your prayer to God, the response, the answer is always something that's going to create boldness in our soul, which in the New Testament, we might call that faith, just believing God and taking God at his word. Well, I believe God answers every prayer. In fact, the title of today's talk is called Yes, No, Wait, because I think he answers, answers us with one of those three words each time we pray, yes, no, wait. So we're just going to unpack those, and we'll start with the word yes, the answer yes. We won't spend too much time here because we don't struggle a whole lot when we pray and God answers yes, but he does. Let me give you the premise of when God answers yes, and here it is in two statements. You can have what you ask for, and the timing is right. When you pray and God answers your prayer like he has for many of us, and I mean you pray and then there's the answer. God is saying you can have what you ask for and now is the time for it. One of my favorite stories from history uh, is about Dallas Theological Seminary. I did not go to Dallas Theological Seminary, but chances are it is the most influential pastor training, ministry training school, 20th, maybe 21st century. And Dallas Seminary has, has cranked out great leaders for, for generations. Some of you, if you listen to radio ministry in the 70s or 80s, you remember the name Charles Swindoll. Charles graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. For those of us who are a little bit younger, Andy Stanley is a graduate of Dallas Seminary. And that's just for starters. It's amazing how many great leaders have gone through the halls of Dallas Theological Seminary. But when it opened up in the 20s, in fact, in 1924, uh, the great Howard Hendricks tells the story. In 1924, they were about to have to close their doors. They were facing bankruptcy because they had to have $10,000. They could not keep the school open another day if they did not have $10,000. Now, I know these names will not mean a whole lot to you, but I am a pastor. I'm a minister. These guys, as far as I'm concerned, should be on Rushmore. That's how great they are. Lewis Berry Schaefer was the president of Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the greatest leaders, one of the greatest theologians of all time. But Louis Perry Schaefer was, was president of the seminary, and in the prayer meeting that he had called for the $10,000 was a guest speaker named Harry Ironside. Harry Ironside is one of my favorite people in the world. And he wrote so many books, it would take you a long time just to read the list of the titles of the books that he wrote. And I'm sure that when they were praying, you know, I've been, in, I've been in prayer meetings with pastors, and pastors tend to talk in stained glass pipe organ language, and they were probably praying like that. But when it came, when it came Harry's time to pray, Harry prayed in a different way. Now, Harry Ironside knew a lot about God doing extraordinary things because when he was born in Toronto, Canada, they thought he was dead, and they just laid him aside and tried to take care and save his mother. They laid him aside for 40 minutes thinking he was dead. And after a while, a nurse checked his pulse and realized he was still alive. And that was just the first of many things that God did that were extraordinary in the life of Dr. Harry Ironside. So here they are in 1924, needing $10,000 to keep the doors of Dallas Theological Seminary, fledgling institution open. And, and, and they're praying. And then the time comes for Harry to pray. Now, Harry was Canadian, but he, I guess he realized he was in Dallas because in his prayer he quoted Psalm 50.10 in which the Bible says, God owns the cattle on 10,000 hills. And Harry said in his prayer, God, you own the cattle on 10,000 hills. Sell some of those cows and send us the money. <laughs> now, no sooner were these words out of Harry's mouth then there was a little tap at the administrative office door of DTS, and in walks a cowboy with the open shirt and cowboy boots. And he walks up to Dr. Lewis Perry Schaefer's secretary, and he said, I just sold a couple of carloads of cattle over in Fort Worth. 
And I'm over here in Dallas trying to put a deal together, and I've tried to put it together several times, and it keeps falling through. He said, I think God must intend for me just to give the money to the seminary. And he handed her a check for $10,000. Now, the secretary, knowing that there were a bunch of high-level big preachers in a prayer meeting, Ordinarily, wouldn't have interrupted him, but she knew that Dr. Schaefer would want to know this news. So she timidly tapped on the door, and Barry Schaefer came to the door, and she told him the story about the cowboy who had sold the cattle and $10,000, handed him the check, and Barry Schaefer turned to Harry and said, Harry, God sold the cows. <laughs> <laughs> and there are times like that. I mean, listen, I've got stories I can tell you about when I prayed, and bang, the answer came that fast. No doubt about it. I mean, it's just no other way it could have happened. I remember when I was a really young punk preacher, I was working on the staff of my home church in Fort Worth, Texas. It was an inner city church, and the area was changing demographically seriously. And, 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 and so I, I remember, even though it was a small church of about 175 or so, I, I had this vision for what would have been a prehistoric kids' world. And so I went to some of the kids that I, actually some of the kids were in the nursery with me, you know, and now we're in our 20s. And I went to them and I said, hey, we need to do something just, just really extraordinary for kids. And so we did the best that we could and, and we started putting stuff together. And the first weekend we had 13 kids and the next weekend we had 55. So I'd gone to Houston to speak at the church that I'd been at before. And on the way back from Houston, I was almost back to Fort Worth. In fact, I was just about to Waxahachie, if you, any of you Texans know where that is, just a little bit south of Fort Worth. And all of a sudden, a vision began to crystallize in my head. And I began to wonder, what if I had a van that I could go around and pick up some of these poor kids that live in the neighborhood who don't have transportation and bring them to our new fledgling kids' world? But I thought there's no way in the world that I could do that because I could barely afford my own car. And you have to be really, really old to know what I'm talking about. I had a Volkswagen Rabbit. <laughs> Diesel. <laughs> there's no way I'm going to go pick up a bunch of kids in a Volkswagen Rabbit. And I, and I didn't know how to afford it. I didn't have any money. I mean, I was just, you just, you know, barely keeping body and soul together. And I'm driving back. And I just said, God, that'd be really exciting. And I promise you, this is a fact. I got back to my house. I walked through the garage, into the kitchen, and the moment I walked into the kitchen, the phone rang, and my dad was on the other end, and he said, Roger Haney just called me. Now, Roger Haney owned a car lot on the west side of Fort Worth, used car lot, little car lot. And he said, Roger Haney just called and said he got a passenger van, doesn't know what to do with it. He just called and was wondering if you might want it. <laughs> and Roger donated that van. When he filled that up, he donated another van. Then he donated a bus. Now, I don't know. I mean, I know God answered prayer. I mean, I know he put the thought in my head. And 40 miles later, when I got home, the phone rang, and there it was. And I don't know if God answered my prayer, if God just got me ready for what he was about to do. But I know there are times, listen to me, when God says yes. And the question for some of us who grew up in church, for whom prayer is just a religious thing that you do, Maybe I need to ask the question, are you ready for God to say yes? Because sometimes we pray and we really don't expect anything. Are you ready for God to say yes? It does me good to realize that Christians have always struggled with this. Even in the first century, there's a story in Acts chapter 12 that I love. You read this when you go home. It was the early church. They were blowing up. But they were also beginning to experience persecution. But this time Stephen had already been stunned to death. And Herod, the wicked king, decided that he would execute James, and when he did, it was politically correct. You know, not everybody loves Christ followers. And so, because it was politically correct and popular, Herod decided that he would arrest Peter and execute him. 
So in Acts chapter 12, you have Peter's arrest. He is in jail. He is about to be executed. He's going to be executed the next morning. Now in town at the home of Mary, who is probably the mother of John Mark, there was a prayer meeting going on. And they're praying, and they're pulling an all-nighter. They're praying all night long that God will save Peter. So I can hear them pray, God, please, we need Peter. Would you please let him live? God, please don't let, don't, don't let Herod kill Peter. And so they prayed all night. If, if, I, I grew up in a Baptist church, so my guess is if it was a Baptist church, they had cookies and coffee there for the all-night prayer meeting, you know. And they were kind of going back and forth. <laughs> well, across town. Peter is in jail. Now listen, guys, this is not about the resurrection, but let me tell you something. This to me is an exciting proof of the resurrection. Do you know what Peter was doing the night before his execution? He was sound asleep. God sent an angel to get him out, and the angel had a terrible time waking him up. Now listen, when you can be in a deep, sound sleep that's hard to wake up, the night before your execution, you've seen a dead person come back to life, so death, as the poet said, ain't no big thing. Well, well, the angel came in, shook Peter, trying to wake him up, you know. He had a hard time. Finally, the angel did get him up, get him on his feet. And and so getting him out of the prison, it was kind of like the reverse for all you old timers or those of you who saw the the remake of the movie, Get Smart. It was kind of like the doors just just opened up. Peter got out in the street. And the angel said goodbye. So Peter didn't know what else to do. He just went to the place where they're having the prayer meeting. They're in there praying, oh, God, don't let Peter die. And so Peter just goes and knocks on the door. Now, I want to pick it up here at the text. This is in Acts 12, verse 12. He went to the home of Mary where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed that instead, so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everybody, Peter is standing at the door. And everybody said, glory to God, we've had prayer answered. Right? No. Read it. You're out of your mind, they said. Oh, boy, that's a spiritual prayer meeting. <laughs> I mean, poor Rhoda goes back in there and says, man, Peter's at the door. They're saying, you're crazy. We're asking God, but we don't expect anything. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. There was a theological view back at the time. I'm not sure how accurate it was, but there was a view that everybody had a guardian angel. And so what they figured, this is the brilliance of these Christians who are just like Mark that are at the prayer meeting. They've been praying, God save Peter. And Rhoda comes in and says, he's standing at the door. And they said, no, Herod's already killed him. It's just this guardian angel with nothing to do who just decided to drop by. Are you ready for God to say yes? Because he does. He's done it in my life. My guess for many of you, he's done it in your life. You ask, God said yes. There, not only was the answer, there was what you asked for. You can have what you want and the timing is right, but let's just move on from that because that isn't too hard to handle when that happens. What about when God says no? I've been there. I've prayed. And fairly quickly, within a fairly short space of time, there is a sense that God is saying no. I feel it. I've asked, and God is saying no. Now, there are a couple of, and I just want to give you these statements. There are a couple of statements that characterize why God says no. The first one is, you're asking for the right thing, but something is wrong inside you. Or it could be that nothing within you is keeping the prayer from being answered, but you're asking for the wrong thing. So there's either something wrong inside of me, and I'm asking for the right thing, or it could be that there's not a problem inside of me that's keeping my prayer from being answered, I'm asking God for the wrong thing. In either case, 
God can say no. Now let's take that first one. Sometimes we pray and something is wrong in our lives. And I want to be really, really careful here. And I pray that you won't hear me with one ear. I want you, I want you not to zone out, please, on this. I don't mean by this, you have to have everything right in your life for God to answer your prayers. If that were the case, it would never happen for any of us. I always tell you I can't be perfect for 30 minutes. Honestly, I can't be perfect for one minute. Because perfection would mean I'm doing everything I should be doing and I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm a human being. I'm an imperfect, flawed person. So perfection is a very high standard. I never get to the place where I do everything right. So I, I don't mean by any stretch that you have to be a perfect person for God to answer your prayers. But I do know this. I know that if we are in overt rebellion against God, clear, overt rebellion, we can ask for the right thing, and God will say no. In the book of Joshua, chapter 7, there's the story of the Israelites who have just done an extraordinary thing. As they begin to go into Canaan, they took the city of Jericho, which was considered impregnable. And you know the story, how that the walls fell down, the Israelites captured the city. And it was, it was one of the greatest military victories of all time. What a lot of people don't know is that during the, or before that battle, God had said to the people of Israel, don't take any of the stuff. It belongs to me. So if you find gold, silver, money, whatever, leave that there. And everybody listened except for one guy by the name of Achan who found an Armani suit and some cash. Well, just grant me a little space there. And he, and he took it and he put it in his tent. And right after that huge victory at Jericho where everybody's high-fiving and saying, wow, isn't our God great and God has delivered us and we just won this great victory. Yes, we're just going to go through Canaan like a hot knife through butter. They go to a suburb of Jericho named Ai. Tiny little suburb. They should have just run over it with no problem. But they go down to Ai and they get their backsides kicked. And Joshua goes back and he's devastated. We just won this huge victory. We go down to this tiny little place and we get routed, and, and Joshua's on his face, and he's crying out. See, Joshua's praying, and this is a situation in which Josh, God, God says something very extraordinary. God said to Joshua, stop praying. Stop praying. Get up. There is sin in the camp. And this is, uh, this is verse 13 that I like so much. God said, you will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. And guys, I just, I love you so much, and I, I, I always want to be positive, and I always want to be encouraging, but let me just tell you something. You can't flip God off with your life and then turn around and expect God to answer your prayer request. And you say, well, Mark, I know what the Bible says, but this is a 21st century, and we're evolved. No, 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 no. God, you know, here's the thing. I mean, I, I, there are two powerful thoughts that, that I think about all the time. Number one is God loves me with an everlasting love. But the other thought is that the world does not revolve around me. And see, sometimes I get, I get there's tension between those two thoughts. And I, I think about this, and, and I hear this in my own life. This is speaking to me. You will never defeat your enemies. Well, I don't have any human enemies, but I've got enemies that I need to conquer in my life. And God is saying, look, you won't, you won't defeat your enemies until you remove this junk. 
I mean, here's the deal. Some of you love God, but you're sleeping with somebody who's not your husband or wife. I mean, you, 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 you're never going to defeat your enemies until you remove the junk from your life. I mean, some of you, some of you guys are, you, know, you love God, but you're hooked on porn, and you're never going to get what you need until you remove this stuff from your life. And you say, well, I'm going to pray for God to remove it. How about you just removing it? I mean, some of us, we love God, but we're bitter and angry at somebody in our life, and it just, we just refuse. And God says, let it go and turn them over to me. And we're saying, God, I'm not going to do that. And we basically give God a one-finger salute, and God says, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to answer your prayer. There's another reason why we can ask for the right thing and God will say no, and that's when we treat someone badly we have influence over. Now think about this. This is an interesting model. Because see, when I need something from God, I depend on him. Now what God does is when he looks at, when I'm asking for, for help, God looks at how I treat people who depend on me. And if, and if I, let's just say for instance, I treat Mary Alice badly. Mary Alice's well-being to a large extent depends upon me and how I treat her. If, if I'm treating Mary Alice badly, then I turn around and I ask God for help, it affects my prayer life. If, 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 if you lead, let's just say you, you're a manager on a staff or you're a CEO of a corporation, you treat your people badly, and then you ask God for help, God listens to that. 1 Peter 3, 7 is written to husbands, but it can be written to anybody who's a leader. Husbands and wives, 1 Peter 3, 7, treat her, that's your wife, as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. And I can't afford for my prayers to be hindered. Because if I'm treating Mary Alice badly, I've got to get that straight before I go pray. The word hindered is an interesting word. And New Springs is a young church, so a lot of you will not know about this. But many years ago in a faraway land, there were telephones that were landlines. And I grew up watching a lot of movies and television, you know, where, where it was a comedy where somebody would cut the line and somebody's trying to talk and they can't talk because the line's been cut. Did you know that's exactly, not, not the part about telephones, but the line being cut is the idea for hinder there. God is saying, Mark, you treat Mary Alice well so that the line won't be cut. Well, let's, let's flip this now. Let's say that there's nothing really wrong inside of you. I mean, you, you're not perfect, but you're not living in rebellion. It's not like, you know, that there's something in your life that's really really flipping God off. There's nothing really overtly wrong, but you ask him for the wrong thing, and God says no. There are three things real quickly to remember when God says no, and I'll try to give them to you, and, and you, can, you can extrapolate these as you meditate on this. But when I, I don't really have something wrong in my life and God says no to me, it could be, number one, because I don't know what I need. When I pray, and God has got this marvelous chemistry kind of thing where imperfect people talk to a perfect God about their needs. But the disconnect sometimes comes in that I don't know what I need, and I'm, I'm thinking I know what I need, and I'm telling God that I know what I need. Now, is God up in heaven going, <laughs> Mark thinks he knows what he needs. Hey, angels, take a look at that. No, 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 God doesn't. Look at this. Eight, Romans 8, 26. The Holy Spirit, that's God living within us, helps us with our daily problems and in our praying. For we don't even know what we should pray for 
or how to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with such feeling that it cannot be expressed in words. So it's almost like having an interpreter here. When we talk to God, the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, God, do you know Mark? He shouldn't be asking for that. He should be asking for this. So even though when I pray, when I pray with, a, with a good heart, when I pray with a sincere heart, the Holy Spirit just puts his arm around me, and, he's, and he translates that prayer to God. And the Father who knows all hearts knows, of course, what the Spirit is saying as he pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. So when I pray, I don't know what God's will is. I'm just giving it the best I can. And the Holy Spirit puts his arm around me, and he comes and he translates it. And when he, when he translates my prayer, he prays in harmony with God's will. And that's why the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good. Remember, prayer isn't about prayer. Prayer is about a relationship. I never thought about that till this week. Sometimes my conversations with God would probably sound pretty odd to you. Because there are times I pray for something, and I'm just sure it's God's will. And you know what I've said to God on numerous occasions? God. I've asked you, and I've asked you, and I've asked you, and I've asked you for this. Where is it? I never realized until I was getting ready for this message that, you know, I'm saying, God, I've asked you, and I've asked you, and I've asked you, and the Holy Spirit just keeps interpreting it correctly, and God is saying, I've never heard you ask for that, Mark. Sometimes God and I disagree about what good means. You know, all things work together for good. I want, I'm praying for what I think is good, but here's the thing. Here's the, here's the disconnect. So often I'm praying for good to me, it's what is best for my personal comfort in this temporary world. Good to God is development in the spiritual person. See, I'm asking God for what is good because Mark wants to be comfortable. Mark wants to have everything he wants. So good to me is when God responds in such a way where I get what I want, get what I perceive that I need, and get what makes me comfortable. And God may look at that and say, that's not what's good for Mark. I know where Mark needs to develop on the inner person, so I'm going to send him something that might not feel good right now, but it's going to work and make things better for him personally in the future. Second fact that you and I need to think about when we ask and God says no is that God sees what we can't see, and that's the future. Oh, God, so many times I've prayed for what I thought I needed, and if I could have seen the future, I would have never asked for that. I would have asked for something else. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We're not accountable for them. I like that because people are always asking me these questions. You know, what about people who have never heard the gospel? I don't know. I'm not accountable for that. God's accountable for that. Well, why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. I'm not accountable for that. You know, when we stress over stuff that we're not accountable for, it's not what God intends. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We're not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he's revealed to us. In other words, we don't know the future. And when we pray, sometimes we ask for the wrong things because of it. And when you get to this place where God says no because he knows the future, please hear this. What God is saying to you is, I have something better. You're asking for what you think you want, but I know the future, 
and I've got something better. Why would I give you what you want when it's inferior to what I want to give you? I mean, it's so easy for me to think about this on this land. I mean, I've had so many business people slap me on the back and say, you guys pulled off a coup. You got the best piece of real estate in Sedgwick County. But we were looking for a vastly inferior piece of land along the expressway in 1994. It spent almost a whole year wanting this land, being able to afford it, but being delayed because there was an option on the land. And we got delayed and delayed and delayed, but we were assured by the owner. People who had the option weren't going to be able to satisfy the option. We're sitting there with a check waiting to write write the check to get the land because we have this vision of a great church on the northeast side that God is going to build. And after looking for that for a year, to make a long story short, I remember it was getting close to Easter, and Billy Poor, who's now executive pastor, had told me, he said, you know, he said, we're going to get the land when you get home. And he said, next week is Easter. And he said, I, I can have the, Billy had a building company at that time. He said, I, I can get the heavy equipment out there, and we'll have a sunrise service. I got on the airplane to go to Tennessee. That's the last thing I heard. I was speaking for a Jewish group. I was, in down, I was at the Marriott Hotel in downtown Chattanooga, and I got a phone call after waiting for this land that we thought we wanted for a year. I got a phone call, and the, and, and the phone call told me that the land had been sold and we weren't going to get it. We thought we were going to get this land for a year. We dreamed and planned we were going to have a sunrise service out there the next week. And a Christian leader who was ministering in Chattanooga at the time was a mentor of mine. I'm sure Mary Alice called him and told him what happened because all of a sudden, and he's an older guy, but a great leader. I get this knock at my door in the hotel room, and I open the door, and, and it's this leader. And with that classic smile that he had and tender spirit, Don Sis said to me, Mark, don't worry about this. God's got something better for you. Now, do you want to know what I told him? This is a fact. I said, I don't want something better. I want this. <laughs> That's the faith that your pastor has. <laughs> Honestly, I told Don that. I said, I don't want something better. I want this. And it wasn't long after that the God opened this up, and I'll tell you, the, if I haven't told you already, I'll tell you the miracle of this land someday. See, when God, when God says, Mark, you don't know the future, what he's trying to tell me is, I've got something better. But I want to tell you one of the greatest lessons that I, 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 sh- I start to say I have learned, but I'm still learning this one. Are you ready for this? Please listen. There are seasons in my life, because God knows the future, that he will take good out of my hands so that he can go get better and bring better and put it in my hands. But here's my problem. My problem is that when God takes good out of my hands and goes to get better, all I can see are empty hands. Or even more challenging, when God takes better out of my hands so that he can go get best. Boy, that's a hard one. I mean, after all, when God has answered prayer to put better in your hands, then he comes along and takes it out of your hands. You're saying, where is God? I don't understand why he took better out of my hands. But when he's taken better out of my hands to go get best and bring it to me, I look at my hands and they look empty, and I'm saying, where is God? God has said no, and God is saying, oh, Mark, I, I see what you don't see. I see the future, and I have something better. I won't spend time here because I'm out of time, but third thing I want you to know is that sometimes we have the right request, but we're going about it the wrong way. Are we, I, I'm, one of my biggest issues in prayer is I tell God what I want, and I suggest to him how he should go about it. 
You know, God, this would be a great way to do this. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I don't know the future. I don't know anything. I'm talking to the maker of the universe, and I'm saying, okay, God, let's get down to business here. I want this, this, and this, and here's how you should do this. And God comes along and says, no. You going to let me do this my way? Because, and here's the thing, there was a king that kind of did that, and God said to him, in the, through the prophet 2 Chronicles 25, 9, the Lord can give you much more than that. See, here's the thing, a lot of times when I tell God I want you to do things my way, God is saying, no, Mark, if you'll just let me do this my way, I can give you so much more than you think you're going to get out of the way you want it done. I don't have time to develop this, but I've got to give you this one. There's a really important key, guys. It's not good for God to say yes when no is the right answer. There is an odd phenomenon in Scripture. It is a strange phenomenon. But there are times in the Bible when people have asked for something and God said no. And people said, well, then you're not a very good God if you won't give me what I want. And God says, all right, then I'll let you have it. And I believe people do this every day. God, I want him. And, and God is saying, no. And, oh, God, if you don't give me that, I can't live if I don't have that man. I, you've got to give me that man. And God says, no. And you can push him. My wife, Meryl, and I have a saying. We say, don't kick any doors down. In other words, when God closes a door, don't kick the door down. One of the greatest illustrations of this in the Bible is in Psalm 106. And it has to do with the Israelites when they were going through Canaan. They choked at a moment of destiny and didn't fulfill the dream that God had for them to go into Canaan. And so they had wandered around the wilderness for 38 years. Three and a half million people wandering around in the desert. They should have all starved to death, but God in his mercy gave them something called manna. And later on in the scripture, we know that it's angels' food. God took food off the angels' table and gave it to the Israelites while they were down there in the wilderness, or made more of it. And I mean, imagine how wonderful it was for human beings to eat angels' food. These were people who basically flipped God off, and God said, oh, you know what, instead of, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to give you angels' food. And so every day he gave them fresh manna, but after a while, they said, well, we don't want this stuff anymore. We're tired of it. We used to have meat back in Egypt. Of course, they were slaves and forced to build pyramids. But they were basically saying, God, we're tired of what you're giving us. We want something else. And, and finally, God said, all right, and then he sent them millions of quail. Now I want to read a verse to you. He gave them their request, but he sent leanness into their soul. In other words, God said, I'm going to give you what you want, but you're going to be miserable. Guys, it is so much better for God to say no and for you to be happy in your spirit than for God to say yes and for you to be miserable. Well, that's all the time I have for that one. Let me just give you what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, prayer may be answered in anger and denied in love. All right, yes, you can have what you want. The timing is right. No, something wrong inside, your request is right. Or you're okay on the inside, but your request is wrong. And now, wait, your request is right, but the timing is wrong. You know, this is the hardest one for me. When you pray and God doesn't answer your prayer with the request being presented to you, but he also doesn't say no. And I think this happens to us a lot. And what's happening is God is managing his timetable. And I hate to wait. I don't know if I have any brothers or sisters here who are ADHD, but if you're ADHD, waiting is a real challenge. 
I mean, I'm the kind of person that I'm going to go into a store and I'm getting ready to check out. I'll look at all the lines and I scientifically analyze which line will move the fastest. And, and always, this happens to me like this. There's a sort of Murphy's Law component to this. There'll always be a new line to open up and just one guy in that line. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get over here behind this guy. And he has one item, four people over here in line. And I'm thinking, poor suckers, I'm over here, you know. And invariably, he's got a broom or something with no barcode on it. And so the, <laughs> this checker is like calling the supervisor and the assistant manager and the manager and, and the governor and the secretary of state. And I'm standing there behind one guy with one item and the four people in the other line have already checked out, gone to McDonald's, eaten, and gone home. <laughs> I hate waiting. But God always has a purpose. He's not playing cosmic. Listen, please, guys. God's not playing cosmic mind games with us. The purpose is timing. The byproduct is strength and faith. Or do I have that backward? Is the purpose, strength, and faith in the byproduct timing? I don't know. I do know this. In 35 years of pastoring and always serving ministries where our vision was greater than our resources, I can tell you that God is seldom early, but he is never late. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, the Bible says, but these things I plan, God speaking, won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. It seems slow. Do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. There were so many other things I meant to say to you, but time is out, time is out so I just want to take you right now. For those of you right now who are waiting on God, and that's, some, that's a lot of us, God hasn't said no, but you haven't gotten your request. You need to hear a couple of verses from one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah's writing, and out of that chapter will come that great line that we have, the hymn that we sing, Great is thy faithfulness. All that comes out of Lamentations 3. Now listen to what Jeremiah says in verse 25. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him, to those who seek for him. Jonathan mentioned this the other day in a sermon. Uh, when the three boys were growing up in our house, just this works this way in a pastor's home. It was this way when I was a pastor's kid. It worked this way for my kids. We would plan things, plan family outings, but when you're pastor of a church, you, could, you don't know. Things happen. People, people get deathly sick. People pass. And so many times I had to scrap something that was a family outing and I'd always tell my boys the same thing. This is what Jonathan said the other day. I always tell the boys, I'll make it up to you. I'll make it up to you. And I don't know if I ever lived up to that. I hope I did. But do you hear your heavenly Father saying that to you if you're having to wait today? Let me read that one more time. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him. In other words, when you have to wait on God and you still put your confidence and trust in him and you don't throw your faith down and run away and you wait for him, God is saying, look, I'll make this up to you. I'm gonna, it's gonna be, this is gonna, God is saying, it's going to be better than if I answered you yes because I know how to make it up to you. God is saying, God is wonderfully good to those who wait for him. That's why in verse 26 the Bible says, so it's good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It's a good thing when you have to wait. Because God, is, God has put himself on the hook to make it up to you. God has a perfect plan. He puts a desire in your heart, but he will wait till the timing is right. 
but his timing is always perfect. This is so easy for me to think about this week because it's 27 years ago that Morales and I came to Wichita this week. And uh, make a long story short because I've got it, I'm out of time. The, the, the pastor of our church had been a mentor of mine, and um, he had tried to get me to think about coming up to Kansas for about two and a half years. And I had found all kinds of creative ways of telling him, thank you, but no. Because I could not imagine spending my adult life in Kansas, and I'd never been to Kansas. But he was such an important person in my life, I just kept telling him things that put him off, but it sure wasn't yes. And I remember he came to my house in Texas and said, told me about how wonderful Wichita was in the church and thanked him for it. I'd like to, there's a story that goes with that I'll tell you someday. But anyway, I still fouled off the pitch. And so a few days later, he called me and he said, hey, I'd like for you just to come. This is September of 1980. Well, actually, it was a summer, but he said, I'd like for you to come first, first, second week of September 1984 and just speak here and see if you have any interest. And so I, I don't remember exactly what it was. I think I spoke for some kind of workers banquet and then I, I spoke on Sunday morning. And I just fell in love with church and fell in love with the city. Still am after 27 years. And uh, I remember telling him, though, I'm under contract, and the soonest I can come is June 6th. Now, this is September. And I thought that would be a deal breaker, and I thought, I'll get out of it that way. And he said, no, we just want you when we can get you. So, uh, okay. So we're in the car on the way home. We weren't even down to the McDonald's. I don't think it was a McDonald's then, but we were on the turnpike. We weren't, even, we weren't quite that far, and I told Morales, I said, well, we're going to have to sell our house. Now, if you remember anything about the real estate market back in the early 80s, you remember it was just awful because mortgage rates 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 percent. We're in the middle of a you know, tough time with real estate. And our, and our neighbor's house had been on the market for a year. We went back two years after we moved to Kansas, and their house was still in the market. So for three years, this house was on the market, never sold. And I'm telling Mary Alice, we, 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 I don't know how we're going to sell the house. We only, we only had about a year. And uh, I just said, I don't know. We're going to have to sell it. And I've told you so many times, Mary Alice has great faith. I don't. Her faith amazes me. She called Star Telegram, put an ad in the paper, house for sale, three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage, no price. When she told me what she did, I said, are you crazy? <laughs> My prayers weren't getting answered that day. <laughs> Line was cut. <laughs> and she just said, well, you know, we need to sell the house. Now, this is a fact. It was in the Star Telegram for two weeks. Only one guy came to the house, walked around at one time, said, I'll buy it. I said, well, I don't even know what we're going to ask for it. He said, it doesn't matter, I'll buy it. He, we had a new hospital down the road from us, and he was an administrator there and had gone through a divorce, and our house was small. It was just perfect for him. He said, I'll buy it. And so I wound up quoting him a price, but I said, I don't, don't hold this. I've got to find out what we've got to ask for it. Later on, I said, I've got to ask $3,000 more for it. He says, no problem, I'll still buy it. I said, God is all over this. Guy gets his mortgage. We're supposed to close like you know, 1st of October. And I told Mary Alice, here's the deal. You know, we, 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 we can't go to June 6th, so we'll just get an apartment. In the meantime, after we sell our house. But the main thing is to sell the house. Well, if you remember anything from about those times, you remember us during the time of the savings and loan debacle, the guy's savings and loan went belly up. And so we didn't close on October 1st because the guy doesn't have a loan. He tries another savings and loan. They don't want to approve his mortgage. He tries another instance. They want to approve his mortgage. He's been through tough times. He's been through a divorce and messed up all his finances and everything. And so I'm saying, oh, God, you got us this far and got our hopes up. Now you dashed our hopes. And we go all the way through October. And finally, he says, I think I got a mortgage. 
and we don't hear anything, and I am chewing my fingernails down to the knuckles, and I, I get, finally, we get word, we're going to close December 6th. You know, apartments have a funny way of wanting you to sign a six-month lease minimum. I don't know if you've calculated this or not, but it's exactly six months from December 6th to June 6th. <laughs> I've discovered that God is seldom early, never late. He answers every prayer, either yes, no, or wait. Thanks for being here. We'll hit number three next week. God bless. See you soon.